Well, we're all out of orange-flavored tang. Golly, the grape flavor's gone, too. Listen, why don't I go to the earth and get some more? Yeah? I could trade them some rocks. Rocks? For an instant breakfast drink with more vitamin C than orange juice? Sure. I'll be right back. What is vitamin C anyway? Mm. Well, I'm back. He got both orange and grape flavor tang. For a bag of rocks. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if there's intelligent life on that planet. How long are you going to wait? Or, said another way, how long do you stay with the same strategy? How long should you give a strategy until you decide to change? Funny enough, it's not unlike trying to figure out how long we should wait for our soulmate to come along. Make the call too soon and you might end up with Mr. or Mrs. Wrong. Wait too long and you might miss out altogether. Interestingly, research studies have found that when it comes to relationships, settling for the sure bet, it gives you an evolutionary advantage. Now, I'm not quite sure what to make of all of that. Married, unmarried, sure bets, anyway, probably a dangerous road to go down. In business, though, it might not be as easy. Knowing when the right time to quit and try something new is one of the trickiest parts of our careers. When you're in the middle of a strategy, no matter what it is, there may always seem like we can try one more thing. There's one more web page to update and redesign, another test we can run, one more investment to try before we give up. Something good might happen. But at some point, we have to change. We have to move along, even if it means we just might have been on the precipice of success. You know, there's a saying that goes, the difference between a goal and a dream is a date. So you've got to choose that date to give yourself or your team and then make the decision to move on. But even harder might be the decision of when it's time to change the winning strategy. You know, imagine you're moving along, you're getting results, you're getting levels of success, your market is doing great, but you can imagine it could be better, or you might imagine it may come to an end. When is it time to change something that's, well, working? Both of these, knowing when to change the thing that may be going nowhere, or knowing when to change the thing that's going somewhere but you're pretty sure it may not be the optimal place, well, those are tough choices. In both, there may be data involved, but the decision, it's going to come down to one thing. Belief. What do you believe? And there's usually one common question that can at least help you identify when you might consider a change. And that question is, do you feel trapped? Do you feel the current strategy traps you either into repeating the same thing over and over and expecting different results, or do you feel like the current success is trapping you into incremental results? No matter how positive, if you start to feel trapped by either the lack of success or the success itself, it may be time to revisit your question and ask, how long are you going to wait? And that's the theme of our show today, waiting for things to work out before I change or working out how much more things I need before I change, waiting for success or waiting for failure, and knowing when both trap you. And now the wait is over for our little show to begin. You ready to change gears and get to something new? Well, then let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 160 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, December 5th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who changes strategies like the rest of us change pants, the changiest guy in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I haven't listened to your intro yet. What are you talking about? What, what? <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about when it's time to change strategies. Oh, well. Time to time to figure out when you're changing, when it's good, when it's bad, and all of that. That's wonderful. Thanks for that yeah. heads up on that. Yeah, one. the changiest of all changey guys. I'm little... you're famous for your changing cha- changiness. As long as it's good change, I'm not in any yeah, bad yeah. change. You know, I'm not used to this. We did three weeks in a row of 
little face to face togetherness. Yeah. yeah, and now it's now we're back to the. I mean, it's probably better sound quality, so our our longtime listeners are probably happy about that. But it's just that's right. I don't know. You know, I would love to know if people thought that we acted a little bit differently if the show took on a different spice if you tone. will the tone yeah. yes tone's a better word i don't know if it did i don't either it's hard to it's hard you're so sometimes inside the forest you can't see the trees have you ever heard that saying before yes i have heard that <laughs> once or twice <laughs> uh it probably doesn't even matter to anyone but us no no, it only matters, I think. But, uh, well, we'll hear. Well, well, we'll hear one way or the other. We always have one promise to our listeners, is that the show we're currently on is is the most recent show. That's the... That, that's a good promise. <laughs> that's a good We promise always promise have. that kind of quality. That is right. The, the the most recent show is the one we're doing currently, yes. Well, the good news is, is that, you know, we did the Six City Tour. We're off the road yeah. now. We're sort of winding down. I mean, you and I both have a few little things to do, but for the most part, we're, we're sort of coasting in to the end of the year. And That's then right. And we're going to take a wild crack at 2017. So It's going to be a good year. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a bigly year, I'm sure. i got to tell you. I've, I've, there's some amazing things, as you know, that happened in 2016, but most of the stuff that happened just was just strange. I think people are, I think people are ready to give this year the big boot. You know what I mean? From all the celebrities that have, we've lost this year to whatever you think about the election, you know, sort of, but basically I think red people are ready to be done with 2016. Do you think that more celebrities have died this year or we always just think that? No, I always I think, think that the I, la- that this year was like oh my gosh the celebrity. I think died. we've lost a lot of a lot more of the sort of headline classic, you know, certainly in rock and roll we've lost a lot of people this year. Well, Bowie and Prince, I mean that's Yeah, I mean, right. Come on. Yeah. And that's all I you mean, I mean that's that's you know top 10 of all time rock and rollers right there. I mean arguably, yeah. arguably, but I would put both of them up there in my top yeah, 10. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and then Robert Rose is 11. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on the tour I'm currently on, but you know, you really need to you need But to at least you've got the rocker look. That's all that matters. It's all that <laughs> yeah, matters. It's rocker not look. Yeah, it's all in how you look. Everything the else. Rocker look. <laughs> <laughs> if you mean hung up and put out to dry, yeah, that is uh that is my well, look. Well, you perfected it, my friend. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Let's move on to the <laughs> news, shall we? All right. So this one comes courtesy of Recode.net, our top story of the show. Um, and a big hat tip here to Ninad Senek, a uh, friend and family of the show, who sent this over to us in a wonderful tweet on the hashtag. Um, and the headline here is, Two years after buying Elite Daily, the Daily Mail says the Facebook publisher is worthless. The Recode article starts out by saying, Elite Daily used to look a lot like a digital publishing success story. Founded by a couple of 20-somethings in 2012, fueled by Facebook growth, then sold for many millions a few years later. Now, it's a cautionary tale. The owner of the Daily Mail, the publisher that bought Elite Daily in January 2015, says the New York-based startup has been a bust and has written down all all of its investment in the money-losing company citing poor performance. It is taking a $31 million loss in the process. Wah, wah, wah. What do you think about this, Joe? Is this finally one of the tombstones that Facebook publisher is uh, going to be writing? Well, I mean, it's not the first time we've talked about this. I that you know the whole house built on rented land. They came at the, you know they came around at a time started that company at a time that was absolutely perfect, and Facebook was sharing all this content, and then the Daily Mail buys them, and then not sharing not so much uh, happened as yeah. Facebook made their decision right. that we all have to pay now to get access. But I did I I have a question because I'm reading this article and it says. The Daily Mail and General Trust, the Daily Mail's UK-based parent company, says Elite Daily continues to grow and that revenue increased 44% in the last year to $12.6 million. Why are they writing down everything if they're – I mean, growing revenue at 44%, pretty darn good. Um, so I just – I don't understand why they're writing off everything unless they're just spending money like it's nobody's business. I mean, well, I suspect they are. I, sus- I, I suspect they are. I suspect they're buying traffic, 
right? I mean, you know, so as they as as they say here, you know, in the second sentence um, where they talk about the revenue growth, they say audience retention and revenue growth have been disappointing and losses have exceeded expectations. Um, that's not a good thing to say when your losses exceeded your ex- expectations <laughs> right off. Um, so, you know, it's, I suspect what's happening is, is that they're ending up buying a lot of traffic in order to, you know, I think what they're doing is they're, you know, they are sort of sticking with it, right? You know, it's like, hey, this Facebook horse is the one that brung us, so let's stick with this for a while and see if we can actually make this thing work and buying traffic in the process, hoping that they can arbitrage some of that traffic out and and really pull it in and start to sell it. And it's just not, it's just not working. You know, just I think I, a total side note here, but just because I'm interested in the whole M&A side, it, it says reports pegged their sale at the time at 40 to 50 million. But uh, according to the financials, only 17.6 million pounds or $26 million were recorded. I think what happened is they got a little bit more than half up front, and then the rest was in some kind of earnout, which they totally busted. They didn't get any of the That's earnout. Right. Exactly. So, so it looks like Daily Mail actually bought this at probably 50% of what was expected because they didn't hit any of their earnout. So just a, that's right. Just the thought that they, you know, if they increased revenue to twelve point six million, this has nothing to do with content marketing, by the way. It's just publishing and M and A. But if they, if they're able to grow this thing and then get it to a reasonable, you know, let's say that they're making four or five million dollars at some point. I mean, then then the then you're putting a value on this between thirty five and forty five million dollars, and then it doesn't seem so bad. Anyways, long story. Not at all. Yeah, long, it's yeah. fine. And then they they got to you know you really ruin it the first couple of years, so you don't have to play, pay the earn out. And then you know everybody's happy except the founders who are like, <laughs> man, I lost. Well, but they they timed it right. Uh, you know, good good for them to get out when the getting was good. And uh, and I guess the you know the story or the the lesson learned for all of us here in content marketing is again. If you find some kind of uh, algorithm uh, haven that's working for your content, you can be sure that if you're getting that traffic for free, that that's going to go away at some point and probably really soon. And that's, you know, that's right. And it's just, I guess it was just a matter of time before this happened. And it's not going to be the last time we talk about this. For sure. No, it's not. And I think, you know, the, I think this is, you know, one of my takes on this is that this is, you know, this is, I don't know if this is the first or not, but it's certainly one of the more prominent ones that has sort of been directly blamed on the, you know, on the Facebook, you know, because they did say that, you know, it's worthless. You know, the Facebook basically that, you know, you, you, you know, the, the publishing through Facebook, it, you know, has, has really caused this. And I, I suspect we're about to see some, you know, and well, you and I are both hearing through the grapevine, you know, not anything data driven, certainly more anecdotal, but we're both hearing from all kinds of brand publishers as well as publisher publishers who are saying, yeah, 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 this thing ain't working. This, you know, this is getting, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I think somebody who's made the bet to go all in here is going to, there is going to be a failure here of, of sorts, you know, for sure. It won't be the last time we talk. Well, about and, and we have a article coming up later. I don't want to spoil it if we get to it, but the, the uh, person who's in charge of publishing for BP basically said yeah. the same thing. Like they put so a couple of years ago, they put so much into their Facebook channel. And it really started to work for them, and then they they just gave up on it. So yep. you know, it's it's just interesting how with, with so many brands and now publishers knowing that it's simply not going to work for them on Facebook. How is Facebook going to algorithmically display uh, content from publishers that are either going out of business or? Um, or or well, trying to, or trying distribution angles and well, on other I think platforms. you know what what we may see you know I mean and we talked about this a few shows back where we we talked about Facebook's announcement that they were going to help you know help some of these publishers you know will Facebook start to subsidize some of these publishers and help them succeed um, and does that put them in a really weird spot where they're sort of picking and choosing which partners they're going to make really you know sort of more hands-on, shall we say, help to um, in order to to get some variety of content 
in there to sort of bolster their advertising model, right? Because that's, you know, that's the whole heart of this thing. That's the whole heart of Facebook making money on this thing is that there's interesting content there. Well, I think that you and I have talked about this before. I think that I think you and I predicted that they were going to buy some publishers, some media companies. They were going to partner. Like you said, they're going to subsidize and invest. But as soon as they do, they're going to have questions based on, oh, well, Facebook's showing that content because they have some, you know, a stake in that one. And then, and then they can't use the argument about fake news. Like right now, I mean, that over the last, what, three weeks, Facebook's been in the spotlight because of this whole fake news thing. And they can push back on that because they continue to say, even though they're not, they say, oh, we're just a technology company. We're not a media company when they are a media company. But at least for right now, they can say they're not creating any of the content. But it, that doesn't matter in a media model, as you and I know. But still, they can say that. But as soon as they start <laughs> right. investing and pushing their uh, pushing their money in one of those directions, then they, ha- right. they actually are a media company, which means a whole new set of problems that they have to face as an organization. So sure. And a whole new and a whole new set of opportunities, right? You know, when do you start seeing Facebook on television and Facebook in print and Facebook in news business? And, you know, and there's a whole there's a whole area they could start to expand into, which would be really Why interesting. Why are they but, not man, doing that yet? I don't. I, I'm sure there's some efforts going on in that. I cannot imagine in a company the size of Facebook that someone's not figuring out a way to do the Facebook TV channel. I just I, I can't. I cannot fathom that that idea hasn't at least been floated in, uh, around it's, to someone. It's just interesting to see you got Amazon Echo and you got Google Home and then you've got, I mean, obviously you've got Netflix and Amazon doing their things sure. with content production and everybody's kind of throwing their ha- hands, hats in and experimenting in these ways and Facebook has stayed away from the fray. Um, yeah. Except for the VR stuff that they're really into. So Yeah. Which, by the way, can I just say something? Okay. <laughs> why every VR? Why in every VR commercial is somebody crying? I know. Right? Like, what is it? It's so touching. No, like, what? What? Well, are, this roller coaster's making me cry. No, are they like doing a VR thing at a funeral? I mean, like, what is it? Is it? It's because it's, it's so, so powerful, Joe. It's it's so powerful. It's the it's the being able to pet your dog in three dimensions is so powerful it makes you tear up. It's that it's that joyous. See, I don't it's think that, that joyous is. of an experience. I'm like, Joe. put out some different content. I mean, stop showing awake. I mean, stop showing somebody's dog dying. Let's show something happy. Oh my gosh! It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uh, seriously everyone. Every single everyone, one of them. They I know it what you like, yeah. <gasps> like, oh, It's okay. so overpowering. Thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> I'm never trying it now yeah, because exactly. it's really sad. I don't want to take it off and cry. <laughs> See, it's like, it's like, are you going to buy VR this year? No, everybody's crying. This is everybody's terrible. <laughs> this, is, this is horrible. This is one star on Amazon. It's just horrible. <laughs> it made me cry. Okay. All right. Okay. Shall we move sure, along now? Why not? All right, to a story that might make you cry, actually. And and speaking of technology companies, um, this one comes to us courtesy of Bloomberg.com. And the headline here is GoPro, the wonderful video camera company, is cutting 15% of its workforce and closing its content marketing, its entertainment unit. The uh, article opens up by saying GoPro Inc. struggling to get traction with its action cameras and new drone is eliminating about 15% of its workforce and shutting down the entertainment content division to reduce costs. The company, which isn't profitable, will cut more than 200 full-time positions, according to a company statement on Wednesday. Tony Bates, who joined as GoPro's president in June 2014, is stepping down by the end of the year. He was previously an executive vice president at Microsoft and the CEO of Skype Technologies. The closing of the entertainment division is a signal that the company is finally narrowing its vision. Wall Street has long been skeptical about GoPro's plans to build a media company around its action-packed GoPro videos online. The shares, which have lost about half of their value this year, rose 4.17% to $10 and change at nine forty in New York. So what say you? Does... Is this the uh, cart leading the horse, or the horse leading the cart, or the what is? This? Is this causation correlation, or what are we talking well, about? Well, I here? didn't, I didn't like this article for a number of reasons. The first thing is, is that Bloomberg throws up an audio video playing ad, which was disturbing 
as oh, yeah, I don't go. even get me started on Bloomberg's come sort on, of Bloomberg. Mon- I was just yeah, like, come, it, I'm yeah. just trying to engage in an educational article about GoPro, and they throw it up, throw up some stupid ad about somebody crying on VR. Um, right. so, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, I, <laughs> sorry, I think that's so funny. I cracked myself up. Um, th- here's what here's what's bothered me about, and you know, you and I talked about this before the show. They are, you know undergoing extreme competition and pressure right and it's it's starting to hurt on my obviously so they're cutting everything this is not just this is not an edict on oh my god uh creating a media company inside an enterprise doesn't work because look at what gopro's doing no gopro's cutting everything right so i don't think this is i feel bad about it because they they didn't give it any time i mean this is this is kind of your take where you, you talk at all the master classes about ROI, return on investment. You got to give a little bit of investment to get the R, a little bit of I to right. get the R, right? Right. They, they exactly. didn't give it enough. And part of that investment is time. And uh, and they didn't give it enough time. And, and here we go. That's being cut. But what I thought was interesting. So this analyst for Cowan and Company, Rob Stone in the article, says they're focusing on their core activities and anything else that doesn't make money, they can't afford to continue. So that says it all. But what's interesting is, and this is what I was thinking about, Robert, I wonder if someday communicating with your customers in a way that delivers truly valuable experiences, if that ever is going to be considered core. Because that's yeah, what I, I that's what I read into this is like oh well them creating amazing content and experiences to as part of what makes GoPro so great if that's not a core activity th- I'm in, I'm concerned about this company if I had stock in this company I would be really concerned right now that well that's that it would be, they are in trouble th- because of that that's the yes that's exactly what I took out of this as well which is you know you've got a company that. By all accounts, right? You know, if, if you know, you walk down the street, you talk to you, you, your your parents, even, right? You know, your but your brothers, your sisters, your friends, and you say GoPro, and they go, "Oh yeah, that cool company that makes the awesome cameras and the drones, and they do cool things, right?" They are truly, from a brand perspective, at least doing something right. But that right is all about what? It's all about you get to see really cool things it you know the experience that they create is not sticking a big bulky camera on top of your hat right that's not the experience the experience is the result of what that is which is the getting to go down a mountain with a skier or jumping out of an airplane or riding on a motorcycle or all these wonderful things that gopro basically creates these experiences that having a gopro create and so when they launched the entertainment and media division, you know, I don't know if they need to get into the business of creating, you know, fictional stories or that sort of thing, but creating those content-driven experiences seemed like a core piece of their business. In much the same way that, quite frankly, content is a core piece of what Apple does, right? So if you look at what Apple does, yeah, they're a hardware and software company, but really they're about the the content, the experiences that are created with the hardware and software. They're not selling you computers and and phones. They're selling you all of the experiences you have with those, those, those phones and those computers. And GoPro, to me, is exactly the same way. They're not selling me a camera that I stick on top of my head. They're selling me the experience that goes with sticking a camera on top of my head so it seemed totally core to me to do this and so them cutting this feels very much like when there's so many times when i visit with brands and and they go oh yeah we're having a tough time so we're cutting marketing and it's like you go you just want to you know you just want to facepalm right because it's like really you know this is you know Everything else is screwing up, and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna cut the one thing that's sort of the value. That's when of you invest. Business. Yeah, that's when you invest. When the going yeah, gets really tough, so, start doubling down, or you end up like blockbuster. That's exactly right. And so I worry for GoPro for this exact thing, right? Because this feels like a blockbuster kind of move to to them, right? Where it's like, you know, and I and I don't have any inside information over who they cut or where they cut or all that kind of stuff. But when I look at them closing down something that I look at is, and again, the media strategy here could have been completely wrong, right? They could have been completely botching it from from a content creation standpoint. I'm not close enough to the content to know that, but 
as a con- as a concept, it feels like this. In other words, I would have the the release I would have expected from a successful sort of pivot here would have been something like we're cutting 200 full-time positions, but we're doubling down on creating the media and the content and the experience brand. Yeah. So that would, that would have been a great story, but unfortunately it's not the story, right? Unfortunately, exactly. But this, but the takeaway here. So just to know, because I've had several people, just as I had, whenever it was, we talked about this six months ago or something and, and somebody said, Oh, they're, they're backing down on their, their entertainment division. And so this means content marketing is a fail. It's like, no, it means the GoPro is a fail. It has nothing to, you can, you can, you can screw up a content marketing strategy too. That doesn't mean that the the methodology has failed. It means that they didn't execute it well. And so it's not a, it's not a stake in the heart or any sort of uh, bad thing for, you know, sort of the viability of content marketing. It's a bad thing for not doing it, you know, not doing it well. And that's the, that's the main takeaway there. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because especially right now, I think that most consumers will pay a premium for a GoPro branded drone or whatever the case is. And, a lot of a lot of the part of that is that experience that they've created with their, I mean, the amazing experience and brand that they've created through all the content creation. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. it's been it's been a, one of our one of the best stories to talk about about you just uh, the power of storytelling, especially in video yeah. format. And GoPro is right up there, and and I'm yeah, I'm concerned. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that's hey, that's fine. It's one of those. It's amazing. It's, that's what happens when you do six cities, and then you come back and you just start you come back and you just start just babbling into a microphone. And I was um, so in, so quickest, totally quick aside. I'm in Boston, and I'm in. The, I don't even know if you you were in the back of the classroom or not. And I I found myself going, you know, you guys are sitting there looking at a computer screen, thinking about strategy, going. <laughs> <laughs> crying to yourself, tears running down your face, going, Aah. and that became like a running joke throughout the whole the whole class that I was making that that sort of grunty noise. It's like, anyway, I'm sure I'm sure laugh. they appreciated that. I'm sure they, they stayed did. till the end, so it couldn't have been they too did, bad. They did stay there. There could have been it could have been the drinks. It could have been the drinks, but you know it, that's why we have <laughs> the drinks stay. at the end. Exactly. Keep them there. All right, let's move on to our next right, story, shall we? And this, we're going to pair a couple of stories here because this is something we didn't actually cover last week, even though the news um, had already hit. Um, but it's something that we should talk about um, because it's a little clearer now um, after about a week or so in the light. Um, the first article that we'll link to here is a LinkedIn post, um, and the title is How Casey Neistat, Neistat, um, Neistat. used Neistat. Content- I think it's Neistat. Neistat? Yeah. It's just an odd spelled name anyway. Used content marketing to sell Beam, um, which, of course, is the uh, video content um, thing. Um, and we'll pair it with a CNN or a Verge article, actually, where it says the CNN who acquired Beam um, will uh, actually launch a new media platform with uh, said Casey Neistat. And the LinkedIn article is by Dan Hockley, friend and uh, family of the show. And so thanks, Dan, for a great post. His post opens up by saying, as far as YouTube celebrities go, Casey Neistat had it made. Said starting his daily vlog in March 2015, uh, Casey had amassed a massive follower base of 5.9 million subscribers and received more than 1 billion views on his videos. He is one of the platform's most successful content creators and his profile seemed to be on a perpetual rise. But last week, meaning a couple of weeks ago now, he did something pretty extraordinary. He decided to walk away from it all, selling his company and his uh, himself, really, to CNN, walking away from his vlog, his community, and the, uh, and the money. His reason? He'd made it. He'd achieved success and was afraid of creatively going stale. I think the check from CNN might have had yeah, I don't a think he walked do away it. from the money. <laughs> yeah, I think he walked right think. into the money, actually, <laughs> exactly. is what he did. <laughs> yeah, so we'll pair it with this article from The Verge, which is basically talking about how CNN's new plan for Beam was has nothing to do with the technology, but has everything to do with the team that come along with Beam and going to offer a new content show. Um, and platform for him to succeed. So what I liked about this, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I liked about this in, in both sort of what Dan wrote about it in his blog and then the Verge article is here's somebody who did kind of the PewDiePie thing, sort of became a big deal using content, building an audience, building um, through content and, and going audience first, figuring out some software along the way to sell to that audience and then ultimately sold basically himself and his team 
um, in, you know, basically became the product, right? Rather than the software itself becoming the product, he became the product, the content became the product. And it's a really interesting way to look at building success, which is the product in this case was almost the marketing to, you know, to selling the company, which was really the content team and the ability to be remarkable for an audience. What did you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, everybody said, oh, did you hear the beams being sold? And I don't think there's any proof of beam actually being sold. And I and, and no, actually both are. This is what the VC. This is what the VC community these days calls an aqua hire. Yeah, right. Exactly. Where they hire the team and they it just happens to come in the package of a company. Exactly. And then and then Beam is shutting down, so I, I, we don't know if this is together or it's separate or what. It doesn't matter, right? The fact is, is that CNN, you know, hired Casey and his entire team, and Casey gets a check for twenty five million and his friends, and he can continue to do whatever he wants. I mean, is it, you know, Dan has a great, uh, talks a little bit about the content marketing aspects of this. And it's, it's, it's like, a, I mean, if it was, if this just happened and I was working on uh, my book, Content Inc., it would be a case study. I mean, Casey, yeah. Casey built an audience of 6 million people, monetized it through advertising, through sponsorship, through endorsement deals, through in-person speaking events, and made a ton of money doing that. And now he's going to, you know, sell, you're going to say, look, to CNN, I'm not going to do these things. I'm going to continue to do these things. You pay me money up front, and then you pay me ongoing to run this new uh, platform for CNN, which I don't – have they named it? Is there a name I don't think for they it? have yet. They, haven't, they certainly haven't announced a name yet, yeah. So anyway, I mean, basically the whole story on The Verge is like CNN – doesn't know how to connect with millennials, and Casey's going to do that. Uh, which well, he's going to try going to, to try to do that. Yeah. I must say, though, I mean, you talk to it's so funny. So there's two people that really know about the Casey Neistat story. One is my son Adam, who's 13, and the other one is our our sales extraordinaire Wally Koval that works yeah. with us. <laughs> he knows all about Casey. Uh, and I won't say how old Wally is, but there's a little bit of an age gap between my son Adam and Wally. I think he's 17. He right? says something Wally's like, like that. 17 or 18, something but, like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, but I mean, he's a great storyteller. There's nothing. And so the takeaway for me is more brands need to be doing this. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, just thinking about, oh my God, $25 million. Some of the brands that you work with, $25 million is a drop in the bucket. For yeah. if they wanted to build an audience and and dominate sort of dominate a category through information, and for whatever reason we don't think about that, I think they're first to go with this whole influencer marketing approach. Oh, we need influencers, and this is what we got to do with influencers. And CNN said, "The heck with that. Let's just buy them." Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's the that's the real key here. I mean, it, you know, we we hear twenty five million dollars, and you go, oh, "Okay, there's another company that I can't afford or can't," you know, but that. You know, the fact is CNN is going to start monetizing that stuff right away, right? I mean, yeah. they, you know, they can monetize him right away because he's got a built-in audience who some portion of them will follow him to TV, will come, you know, when he launches a new digital thing, because you know there's a new YouTube channel or a, some digital thing coming um, out of this. You know, they're, they can monetize this right away with new advertising and, and all of that, and hopefully it is for them some meaningful way to get it in front of uh, young people. But the 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 takeaway that you're you're making so eloquently is this is that the idea here is is that if you're a brand, you can look at this in your own market and you can start to look at this and these are not necessarily seven or eight figure deals. These are sometimes well, five and six figure deals and, and those can be they can be had and they are meaningful and they are ways to get a jump on your competition in terms of what you're trying to do and there's a there's a real there there. I'll give you a really good example. I just had the conversation today. I met with a couple marketing executives from an industrial manufacturing company, and we were just talking about their program. And they were, you know, running the what they wanted to do by me and getting my my thoughts over a cup of coffee, which I, you know, I'm happy to give to them. And then. When they were going through some, because I basically was like, who's the audience you're targeting? Where are they on the web? And we got into a discussion. There there was one key blogger that has built up a pretty significant audience around an area that this industrial manufacturer, it's really important to them and their audience. And we actually yeah. got into the conversation. Like, And I said, but well, what would it take to, to buy the site? And they'd never thought of it before. I said, right. well, would it would it take... A hundred thousand? They said, "Oh, we could probably get it for less than that." I'm like, "Well, shoot, let's go have that conversation." 
Let's go right, talk exactly. with the guy. Because I said, it's yeah. going to take you 12 to 18 months even to get close and to what that guy's doing. more than $100,000 to do yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, it's gonna exactly. Get, it's like, let's go see. And I just wish that more brands would look at that. And I think that they, we see an example like Casey Neistat and we're like, oh, $25 million too much. But you and I know that these deals, you said five figures. You're right. A lot of these deals could be five-figure deals. Yeah. And uh, just have to think a little bit different. So there you absolutely. go. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, speaking of deals and speaking of the most wonderful deals, we should probably talk about really our favorite sponsor. If we're honest, it's really our favorite sponsor. We've got all the deals. We've got all We've got the all big the deals. deals. All, the best, all deals. the best deals. All the best deals. <laughs> we are the ones to call Taiwan. We call Taiwan uh, with all the best uh, deals. Oh, you had to throw it in. Now you got yeah, political. I had to go there. Oh, look. Look, man, game on now, right? I mean, you know, so yeah, it's it's it, it it's all the jokes. We have all the jokes. Game game on now. What changed? Why is game on now? Why I thought because game... he's in. <laughs> can't are we allowed to make fun now that he's like in? He's not in yet. You can't uh, make well, fun. He's in. He's in. He's not in. He's in right. when Obama leaves. Now then he's okay. in. Then, then we can all make fun, and we're, it's not because right now. Okay. See, right, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. Right now, people right. are still a little bit on edge, not as much as what I they know. were. I know, but people are I still know. on edge because we talk about it too much. We've got a couple listeners out there that are very passionate on either side, but but once it, once it happens, then we can talk about it because okay. he's ours. All right. I'll follow your lead. How about that? Please don't do that. God no. <laughs> All right. Today's sponsor is our very favorite Intelligent Content Conference, March 28th to 30th, 2017 in Las Vegas. And if you want hardcore content strategy for marketing professionals, this event is for you. ICC brings together the leading experts from around the world, and we really do, by the way, to help you create a more scalable, workable content strategy with less human involvement. Look, I got a script here, Robert. I'm going to go right off the script. We got this question at Masterclass Boston and said, look, should we attend or should we not? Here's the, here's the deal. If you have already constructed your content marketing strategy and your content strategy and you want to take it to the next level, ICC is perfect for you. We're going to talk about machine learning, artificial intelligence, how to make it more scalable from a from a uh, strategic, real strategic approach. We're looking at metadata and search and all those types of things. And if you really are like, hey, look, we, we, we've gotten the basics down. We want to take it to the next level. ICC is going to be fantastic for you. And if you are at a basic level, don't go to ICC. You can, that's yep. probably better for content marketing world. And this year we've got yep. Washington Post, IBM Watson, Zillow, Red Hat, LinkedIn. Uh, we talked last week about author Fran Leibowitz. It's going to be doing a Q&A with you, which is phenomenal. And then from now until December 16th, it's the last day to get the very best rate for ICC. And then everything goes up. That includes our workshops, pre-workshops, and our pre-conference event on marketing and AI. For marketers, you're going to want to make sure you sign up before December 16th. And then if you don't sign up before then, I'm still going to talk about it. You're just going to have to pay more money. <laughs> go, go to intelligentcontentconference.com today and sign up your team. Robert will be there. I will be there. I'm so excited about it. I love this event. It's just going to be, I think, the ni- this is going to be the eighth or ninth year. I can't remember. Um, eighth, well, now you're asking me on the spot. I believe it's eight. I believe it's eight. I believe this is the If you believe it's eight, year. it's probably nine. But that's okay. It, that's right. It's probably that's not. Right. But well, it's it's on the website. It'll tell you. It's been around for a long time. It, <laughs> it has been, and I've been to every one. I've spoken at every single one. I remember when it was a small little geeky content geeky conference out in Palm Desert, and now it's a and, larger and, geeky conference. That's right, <laughs> and and it's still in the desert. It's just Las Vegas, not the, <laughs> not Palm Desert. Yeah, I used to drive out there. I can remember driving out there because it's driving distance for me out to uh, Palm Springs and Palm Desert. And uh, and it used to be held at this really cool, hip hotel out in the middle of the desert. And you would drive out through the desert and you would get there and it would be really super cool and very hip out in the middle of the uh, middle of the desert. And it was uh, and it was one I could drive to. It was a, yeah. it was a it's always been a great content oriented show. In other words, the the speakers, the depth, the issues, the challenges are always really, really good. And um, and now it's you know we what we've done is we've come in and infused it and made it bigger and better and and it's 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 really 
It's, you know, as you and I said, we programmed the event we would want to go to, right? So it's, it's, it's really great. And we, but I'm we keep it. As hell about but it. As, as those of you that know that went to content marketing, that go to content marketing world, I mean, we'll be 4,000 strong for that next year. This is a yeah. much smaller event. It's, this is, you know, we like to keep it around 500. Uh, I think that's yeah. a good number, the right amount of networking. The session times are a little bit longer. Um, so if you, if you like a little, you know, a little bit more time to get to know the speakers and the attendees, that's, it's a great event for that as well. Yeah. So. Fantastic. There you go. All right, folks, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like the changiest of all change change or makes us feel like, you know, we're trying to stick with it and get to the solution we really want. Um, and I'm going first because I have this old marketing this week. Um, and I have, I, well, I have a little bit, I don't know if it's a rant necessarily, but it's certainly commentary. And then I have a little bit of a rave. Okay, sweet. To talk about. Um, so the first one, which is the commentary one, comes courtesy of Wall Street Journal. And this is something, and I know you're going to touch on something similar with this. And again, this is not about politics. Um, this is about marketing, and it's a really interesting thing, I think, that, that we have to start thinking about, which is, so the article that we'll link to in the show notes um, speaks to, from the Wall Street Journal itself, speaks to how there's a lot of, you know, with Breitbart News, um, which, you know, love it or hate it, or like it or not like it, basically is a very sort of um, one-sided, let's just say, um, editorial site. And one of the things that they use is the idea of embedding Google ads into the side of their, you know, right rail or wherever they embed them. And those ads appear. And of course, if you click on them as a reader of content, then Breitbart makes a little bit of money. That's how they monetize their content in some cases. And of course, Google makes a little bit of money and the advertising theoretically supports whatever goal the advertiser is trying to achieve. Now, one of the things that happened is over the last week or so, Newegg, as the story goes, Newegg, uh, the company, um, started to appear in Twitter um, tweets that people were upset that their that their company were was appearing in context in the actual Breitbart site, and Newegg didn't realize this. They didn't realize their ads were on Breitbart. And the article goes on to then just to basically say, hey, listen, you know, whether or not they knew or not, there's this sort of automated ad and contact and content uh, um, recommendation networks that are out there automatically putting your advertising into sites that you may or may not agree with. And this is going to become more and is becoming more of an issue. These content recommendation networks like the Taboolas and the Outbrains and all of these, you know, the Google, certainly Google with their Google ads, there are things that your ad may appear adjacent to, or there are things where you may appear on a site that you may not quite frankly want to be on the site. So there's going to be a lot of interesting attention that needs to get paid to where your content is starting to appear as content syndication and content promotion becomes a much bigger part of your online content marketing strategy. And the article goes to talk about how really people don't understand, right? So in, in many ways, one of the things that we need to remember as content marketers and just even really to the point of talking about in, intelligent content is from an inside baseball perspective, from an inside looking out, we go, well, of course you wouldn't associate anything that I would use in an Outbrain or a Taboola with the, ad, you know, with the site that it might appear on. And of course, we may want those customers to come clicking through to buy our products or buy our services, but basically customers don't know and in both good and bad ways the brand is going to be aligned in many ways with where our content appears and so the commentary really is we really need to take an active look at where our content is starting to appear because it's not just political sites or you know sites that may be spreading fake news or it may be other sites that you know just simply don't align with our brand or even competitors' blogs in some cases, we need to really think and be watchful and wary about where our content is, is appearing across the web because as this article indicates, and as you'll talk about it, and I won't, I won't uh, 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 talk too much about the thing about Kellogg's and Breitbart, there's a real 
interesting thing going on right now with brands and how they're aligned and, and where our content appears. And so just a, a quick sort of helpful safety tip, hopefully not a cautionary tale for you to think about as you're talking about your content promotion strategies. And you have an, so that's that. And you, that you just, I thought you had another one. You just have one? I do have another one. I do have another oh. one. But I wanted to let, I give you a chance to get a word in edgewise in case you had any comment on that. No, you know what? It, it, you know, unfortunately, I had in front of me, um, I was supposed to give you something. There was a, somebody sent you a Starbucks gift card and it came to me by accident, but I forgot to give it to you on the road. So I feel oh. really bad about that. But, uh, <laughs> that, but while I was listening intently to you, <laughs> It was, it was, uh, it was, well, you'll get my take in a second. I don't want to steal. Okay. I don't, I, I don't, I want, I'm, I'm going to go into it in depth because I think there's an opportunity. So I'm okay. going to save that. And so, go, yeah. I, and so the second, the second piece very quickly here is, is, is just a huge rave, um, about an article, this article. So can I just, I mean, and I know this is a little weird, but you know, they didn't pay us. They don't, they didn't pay me. They didn't take me to dinner. They did not. The Starbucks gift card is not from them. I guarantee you. <laughs> um, but I just want to just put a huge compliment out to the team at contently and their content strategist blog. It's just good. It's just the the content they write is just good. I mean, I I find myself on it more and more. It's just it's just well done. Um, and so the post that we'll link to in the show notes does come from their blog, um, and the headline is why publishers are a huge threat to ad agency. And this is something that I've been focusing on more and more and more as I've been watching the media companies um, and publishers start to stand up these content studios and really start to compete and offer services. I, you know, T-Brand Studios is, they're buying up agencies and, you know, that's the New York Times content publishing house, of course. And they are offering out full-on creative, full-on, almost full agency services out to clients. And as this article goes through and, and, and explains in just a really interesting, um, ex they use examples and they've got some really good, um, some quotes from some people that are in and on the scene from agencies and stuff like that. There's a real trend here. There's a real thing going on with media companies. I mean, we've talked about it. You've heard me talk about it. I've we've talked about it on this show before. This, you know, incoming disruption of how media companies are disrupting the agency world. Um, and when you see it sort of put out on Contently's blog and then the argument that they've done, it just starts to take real shape. Like, yeah, this is really happening. This isn't just, you know, Robert spouting off about something that might happen down the road someday. This is, they actually lay out a pretty good argument here about this is really going on. And, and if the agency world doesn't sort of pay attention to this and really react and figure this out. And I just had a lengthy discussion with, um, someone in the agency world where they were they were talking about this and I and they were they're just now starting to have these conversations in their more senior management meetings and it's like yeah you better pay attention to this because this is this is for real and and how agencies react to this I think really puts the sort of stake in the ground about where agencies are going to be in 2017 and 2018 and what their relationship is going to be with their clients because it very quickly could turn into quite frankly a very executional afterthought of some of the other stuff like advertising and email that we're doing but the strategy and the media strategy will be belong to the media companies and so it's a really interesting time so anyway but huge hats off hat tip to the contently crew for putting together a great blog post there the the most exciting time to be in marketing right now yeah Without absolutely right doubt. media marketing i know some people on the media side are, are not as happy about it because it's not as easy as it used to be because <laughs> the business model is folding under itself but uh but just as a as careers career opportunities for people in content it's unbelievable yeah. so very very exciting all right my, it's amazing uh, i have it's amazing it is amazing it's, it's bigly amazing. opportunity um, you're not. You're doing it. I sorry. I can't help it. We do it during the master classes too. We were all, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, we thought they were funny. So whatever. Uh, I have two so quick sort of rants, and the first one follows off as we were talking about your Breitbart um, article, and onto Breitbart.com's boycott of Kellogg's. If you didn't hear mm -hmm. the deal on this, basically. Uh, uh, Kellogg's decided last week not to advertise on Breitbart's platform due to, you know, let's say, a disagreement in values. And to combat this, Breitbart came after Kellogg's with guns a blazing, 
uh, with a hashtag dump Kellogg's campaign where Breitbart said that, um, in quotes, boycotting Breitbart news, news for presenting mainstream American ideas is an act of discrimination, of discrimination and intense prejudice, end quote, says Alexander Marlowe, Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief. I didn't think that not advertising on a site was an act of discrimination, but it's just... You keep using that word. I don't think it <laughs> don't means think what it you means think it means. What you think it yeah. means. So, I, and again, we like to say our disclaimer, I'm not going to get into the political side of this, but as I saw this play out, Robert, you know, Kellogg's simply had no power in this. You know, they can send out a press release, they could talk with the press, they could possibly do an ad in the Wall Street Journal or something like that, but Breitbart has a huge audience of followers and traffic, and they can basically troll anyone they want without repercussion. So in the future, so I'm thinking about this, and what, what does Kellogg's do? In the future, how does Kellogg combat this? Now, if you remember, this is three years ago. We covered on the show uh, about a New York Times review that did a less than flattering review of a Tesla model. Do you remember that one? That's right. Yep. CEO Elon Musk... Uh, didn't think too highly of the review by the New York Times journalist and blogged about it to his followers right away. And uh, because Elon had millions of followers on Twitter and whatnot, his blog post received a ton of traction and sort of worked as a rebuttal to the article. Now, so if Kellogg's needs... So I'm thinking about business case here, right? If Kellogg's needs a reason to create and develop an audience, if they need a business case... This is a very good reason to yeah. protect itself go, from right. trolls and negative press alone. Sure. So when this happens, so you 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 have a whatever you want to think about Breitbart, they're a major major media platform now. And I've never seen them come after an advertiser like this. So I think as brands, we need to protect ourselves because this is going to start happening more and more. And from a PR angle, instead of like I know a lot of PR companies that produce quote unquote dark sites. So PR companies produce these dark sites, and what happens is when something bad happens, they activate these sites, and they're like full-blown websites, but they've just been hidden from the spiders and from Google until something bad happens. So think about, like, BP's got a number of these sites when an oil spill happens, and they just pop them up. And so that's fine for this type of thing, but what if we created a platform of loyal subscribers instead over time? How much more powerful would that have been to Kellogg's in this yep. situation? So that's that's my take. I th- I'm going to write an article about this on CMI because I just think there's a huge opportunity. And I've been, you know, you and I have been talking a lot about business cases and creating business cases. I think this is a great business case that you can make uh, from a PR angle, if you will. So it's a it's a it's a great business case. You know, it, it reminds me sort of going all the way to the other end of the spectrum. You know, so this this will take you back a few years. One of the original, like in my master class and, and, and what, I, I mean, this is going back now to 20, I don't know, 2010 or 2009 or something like that. Um, and you, I don't know if you remember this, but um, there was a, there, there was a case study that was done when uh, Oracle purchased one of Eloqua, this is going back to the Eloqua days, if you know those. And so oh, this yeah. is Joe Chernoff, when Joe Chernoff was there and he used to tell the story, I think. And basically, the the story was Oracle bought one of Eloqua's competitors um, and did a press release on it. And the press release was very typical press release. You know, we are pleased to announce that the synergies of the going forward statements and the synergies of the more going forward statements and, oh, yeah. you know, blah, 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 corporatees and a typical press release and about us and about our new company and sort of and blah, you know, nothing. Right. And what happened was that the Eloqua CEO wrote uh, a blog post and because they had this sort of already gathered audience wrote a blog post what does the acquisition mean for us what does it mean for our competitors what does it mean for our customers what does it mean for the you know the competitors customers and sort of wrote this you know 2000 word post about what it all meant put it out and then they did a press release about the blog post and 
Eloqua was the one who got all the media coverage, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the it wasn't Oracle or the competition who'd been comp- uh, acquired. It was basically the Eloqua CEO who was invited to give all the quotes and where the quotes were sourced to, and basically it was this huge PR win. And the Eloqua, the, the the sort of punchline of the case study was, and they closed two new clients out of it because of the SEO benefit, and they found that these two clients had come in through this blog post. So it was a wonderful story about how PR and basically writing a press release. But this is the same kind of idea, right? It's it's once you have a, an assembled audience and that media platform that's already ready to go, you already have a room in the house set up for these kinds of discussions. That's exactly right. You know, it's right. like it's the place you can go and have the kind of discussions that you need to have about what's going on in the in the world of uh, in the world of your business that are outside your product and service. <laughs> so yeah, no, I love that. But I yeah. first heard that story from David Mir. Scott. That's the first time yeah. I heard that story, but I, I love that story and, and totally, yeah. totally relevant. No, my second one, quick rant. Uh, last week, both Time Inc. and Hearst announced some reorganization efforts to save money and, and be more efficient as they normally do. Uh, at Time, the new structure announced December 1st calls for pooling individual titles, resources in topic areas already covered by multiple brands, including food, celebrity, entertainment, health, and home. According to a memo from Chief Content Officer Alan Murray, each will be led by an editor whose job will be to grow overall audience for their topics by coordinating coverage that can work across brands, whether it's around a recurring event like Thanksgiving or news like changes in national health care policy. And then on the other side, Edward Felsenthal will oversee the news, technology, food, health, home, and travel desk editorial leads. Um, No, that's the one. Okay, I'm sorry. That's still a time. And then at Bloomberg, according to Bloomberg, Hearst will combine the beauty, fashion, and entertainment departments at print titles, Cosmo, 17, Red Book, Woman's Day, and Good Housekeeping. Those changes will take effect starting in January. So my, my hmm. quick take is simple on this. Whenever you combine content niches into a broader area and give multiple content areas to one ad- er- editor to oversee, the relevance is going to go down. It's it's right. not going to of be course. as effective. Absolutely, right? My This is going to hurt both brands especially when other companies and startups are going more niche. So you have brands, their competitors, and and publishing startups that are going more niche. And you have Time and Hearst and these big brands, these big, wonderful brands that have been around a long time that are going broad because they're, they're cutting back, they're being whatever more efficient, but they're looking at the financial statement. And they're making those decisions based on the bean counters. This is very troubling to see. Uh, but at the same time, I hate to say it, it creates a lot of amazing opportunities for other brands to steal audience from from both Time and Hearst titles. So I, when I saw this, Robert, I was really sad to see it. I don't. I think we're going to see more and more of this, and um, you know, this is this is the way we're going to have to get used to it. But it does create opportunities. So yeah, I think I think that's true. I think there is a lot of opportunity here, um, and you know, but. <laughs> It, it always comes back to focus, right? You know, I mean, I had this conversation today with, a, with the CMO of a company, and they were like, well, you know, we've got these three different audiences and customer groups that we need to, to, to work on. How do we create something that works for all three of them? And I said, you won't. Yeah, don't, don't do it. Just, you know, you've got to figure out how to prioritize. You know, yes, you'll do all three eventually, but don't try and do all three at once because, you know, unless you want to build three separate things at once, and then, of course, do that. But, but really, I'd focus on one and get great at it and then add another one and then add another one. Scale it over. Yeah, I mean, so, so this, uh, you know, I feel bad for Edward Felsenthal. He now oversees news, technology, food, health, home, and travel desk <laughs> editorial leads. Exactly. Good luck, Edward. Great at all those. Good luck with yeah. that, buddy. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll see you with a brand pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got to this old marketing as we close. This I do have out. a wonderful this old marketing to talk about. It's a fast one. Um, you know, you're familiar. Are you familiar with the National Trust here in the U.S.? I'm not 
Yeah, I've heard of it. That's as familiar okay. I am with it. All right. So there's a national trust in the UK as well. And so the national trust is nationaltrust.org.uk. And it's a really interesting organization. And I ran across it just from, I was speaking with a family member actually who had mentioned it to me and about how popular it was in the country and especially the magazine there. So, but just quickly, the national trust in the UK is, it was founded, you know, 1895. Um, and basically, over the last hundred and plus years, they're one of the largest charities in the UK. And what they do is they sort of care for all the historic properties. So, you know, when you're looking at, you know, those, you know, you're in the US here, you look at a property and it says, you know, this has been a designated monument, you know, that in 1895, something happened here, right? And so it's the same thing. They basically are a charity that look after the care of historic properties, you know, countryside, um, and, you know, old houses, old buildings and stuff like that. And they basically, you know, provide, you know, provide all the care and feeding of these wonderful places that they want to historically, um, you know, create. And so I didn't know this until, until this person started telling me about it, but uh, they've had what they call the National Trust Magazine. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, well, of course the charity has the magazine and, and all of that. And that's really interesting. But what I didn't know was, okay, so here's this thing, the national trust, you know, dot, you know, or this, this nonprofit, et cetera. Um, it's the national trust magazine has with a readership, they've got more than 4 million people, uh, subscribed to it. It's the highest magazine circulation in Britain. Oh my gosh. In other words, it's really the most popular magazine that's subscribed to in Britain. And they've got three issues every year. They've got a spring, summer, and autumn. And they've had it um, going since 1932. It has been continuously published since 1932. Um, and at the time, when they first published it, it was eight pages long. And it was called the National Trust Bulletin. It started out literally as a newsletter. The National Trust Bulletin, basically, here's what we're doing, and here's what's happened. And so it has evolved throughout the years um, to become this number one magazine in in Britain, and they've varied the number of issues they've done, and they've varied the number of times they've published it, and, and and all of that. And so, for example, they said that basically the current issue, 2016, is the 218th version of the National Trust. The more the cool thing that I love about this is when I got into the magazine, I started looking at it, and it's not just like, well, here's what we're, you know, it's not just the typical nonprofit here's what we're doing and here's how your money is getting spent, right? It's a full-on lifestyle magazine, right? It's got articles on interiors and landscape and family and food, um, all kinds of stuff about just life, right? Just And then, you know, they do stuff like, you know, a roundup of, of stories about some of the areas. They've got, you know things, movies that are getting shot around the, the country and at some of these historic places. They've got, uh, if you want to recreate some of these things in your own home, in your garden, like how-tos, like if you want to do a garden like the one in this historic place, well, here's how you would do it in your garden and how you would create it in your home. They've got like what cool books and cool, like they do movie video reviews and app reviews and book reviews. They've got a crossword puzzle. They've got game. It's basically a, a full-on lifestyle magazine that is published by the National Trust and become this beloved um, sort of thing that is the number one magazine in in Britain and also represents the brand as this you know this charity that sort of works to preserve all these historic places and it's got advertising and so it's got uh, advertising in it as well so just a great example of this old marketing and I love it because it's a nonprofit that here it is producing a lifestyle magazine not just about where your money is going and our mission and what we're doing and here's all the news that's fit to print it's basically creating something of value that's really separate from the mission itself but valuable that's that's really cool because it comes from the national trust just a great example of this one. i would love would have loved to be in that strategy meeting at some point and how they made that decision that's pretty cool yeah how they, how yeah they do that. no it's a it's a really neat it's a really neat publication and the photography by the way is just absolutely stunning it's just beautiful Thank you very much, sir. And uh, yeah. so, so what's the rest of your week look like? I leave tomorrow. I am I am off to Atlanta to speak at a manufacturing conference, um, both manufacturers and those who hold events for manufacturers. So I'm giving two keynotes tomorrow uh, in this week in Atlanta. Then I'm off to Pittsburgh to do an advisory day with a client in Pittsburgh. And then I'm home. It is my last business trip of the year. I will be home Yay. for the remainder of the year. Yay! 
and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> so that's so, very yeah. nice. Uh, since, yes, and you? Well, since I was I was gone for a little bit, you know, with our master classes, it seems like I have like seventy five calls scheduled this week. I don't know oh what happened. God, it was it's amazing. just like, yeah, um, yeah, like everything was back to back. Yeah, everything was just this week. So I'll be. I'm in the office though, so that's great. And uh, yeah, I'll be on the phone a lot. So it's all, it good. Yeah. it's all good. It's all good. I have to you have to do this, some of that it's stuff sometime. So and we may have some fun announcement for next week. We may, we may. have some fun, a little announcement about a project you and I are working we on. We may, but we can't talk yeah. about that yet. We can't talk about it yet, there but it's almost done. There you go. Yep. All right. All right. Well, that is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number one hundred and sixty. Yeah, 160. Believe it. You've been around for that long. You've been listening in your car for 160 hours. Believe it. I know. It's unbelievable. I know. It's amazing. Won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes, won't you? And if you have, let us know on the wonderful, wonderful Twitter. Hashtag us up. Um, If you leave us a review, we'd love to thank you for that in person. Hashtag us at This Old Marketing. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We want them. We need them. We love them. Please hashtag us up on This Old Marketing on the Twitter. Give it to us, the story ideas or This this Old Marketing examples. Or you can always just send a fancy old email to ThisOldMarketing at ContentInstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available in the show as we publish on Monday night and of course will be written up in their all so wonderful glory at the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on our Saturday release until next week everybody remember it's your story to tell tell it well see you next week on This Old Marketing of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.